0: I had these demons coming after me and I and I created them you know it was like oh you know people are are rooting against me and I just created this situation in my head where I was just like I need to beat this person you know sometimes it well not sometimes a lot of time I would sit on the starting line and be like this is life or death
1: Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, grace for impact. You and I are a lot alike. We're busy and sometimes we get stuck and we need tools to help us get unstuck. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of the Unstuck app. And you can go back and listen to episode one to hear why. But today I'm even more pumped because the unstuck team has just launched an online platform called life courses to help us make a change in our lives by first helping us understand what's holding us back and then helping design a personalized action plan for moving forward. I just started the first life course myself and it's a high impact, awesome experience, something you and I can do together. I know what you're saying. I'm too busy and still, Life Courses is designed specifically for busy people like you and me, and you're worth it, I'm worth it. So head over to unstuck.com forward slash impact and sign up today. I'd love to hear back from you. Send me your stories via email at info at the or the Impact Entrepreneur Show Facebook page. And of course, we will link to all of this awesomeness in the show notes. Welcome back to The Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn, and we are about to kick off round five of the Champions Mindset series. And if you haven't listened to rounds one, two, three, or four yet, I do encourage you to go back and check those out. They're so powerful. Today's episode is with two-time Olympic gold medalist, Erin Cafaro McKenzie. She medaled in 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games. She has podiumed at every world championship rowing competition she ever competed at, accruing a total of six world championships, gold medals, and two bronze medals, equally significant her results have helped her to break the stereotype that the sport of rowing is only for big and tall athletes. Erin is now coach and COO of power speed endurance and has helped to share her training knowledge on and off the water with elite to beginner athletes in many different sports, helping those athletes realize their innate potential. And she continues to train for life and is always looking for the next challenge today Aaron talks about overcoming preconceived norms about the potential that we all possess, balancing the need to move through the pain with the need to rest and recover, and how you and I can keep the momentum and mindset moving forward after we've accomplished the goals that we've set out before us, and so much more. Bust out your pen and paper, take some notes, and embrace for impact. Aaron, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. We are pumped to have you here and excited to include you in our series on the champion's mindset.
0: Hey, thanks, Mike.
1: As uh, we were talking right before we hit the record button, I always kick things off with the same question, which is if you, Aaron Kafaro McKenzie, could pick any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it?
0: Ooh, I think the superpower would be uh, the superpower to adapt. And evolve.
1: <laughs> Ooh, I like it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, being invisible or fast or, well, I guess it, it's kind of cheating because then you just would adapt to whatever you needed to in the situation. But yeah, no, I, I, I look at that as a superpower and, and people that I'm friends with. And even my husband, I think that my husband's one of the best people who, um, I know that is good at adapting and evolving. And I look at that as a superpower for sure.
1: So how can we apply the essence of that superpower in our daily lives?
0: I think it just starts with being open and listening. Um, I, I know, you know, in my, in my younger years, I, uh, it, was a, it was very reactionary and it was forceful. And I tried to, you know, when um, I was competing, it was all about, oh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to beat someone. And I, it was all about my effort. And then as I got older, wiser, um, I realized that I didn't really have to put as much effort in if I just kind of listened and watched and kind of listened to my surroundings, watched other people, how they were doing it, and then I could just adapt and uh, use what was working for them and not use what uh, wasn't working for me or them. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's just, honestly, it's a little bit of silence, you know? Yeah. You got to be able to be patient and listen.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's like that situational awareness kind of concept, you know, and you you look at what other people are doing. You're like, oh, I like what what that, I like what your husband's doing. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to ditch what, what's not working and, and and adjust it to my own personal situation. And I'm sure that's something that, as you said, you've kind of grown into and learned over the course of your life. And, and one of the ways that a lot of people do that is through coaching and mentorship. And it's it's something for that's important for all of us, but especially for those pursuing greatness. Can you tell us a story about a mentor or a coach that impacted your life?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, actually, the one that introduced us, Kelly Surrett. I met him in 2000. Well, I guess it was the fall of 2007. Um, I was in... Princeton, New Jersey. It was the second year I was on the U.S. women's rowing national team. And I was short, I was skinny, I was uh, weak, and um, just basically pretty much undersized. And I was going as hard as I could go at the time. I mean, I, and I think that was the most effort I would ever put into anything still to this day. And I was just breaking ribs. I was breaking myself, you know, mentally, physically trying to keep up with these goddesses that were, you know, six foot plus and 180 and and just blessed with huge whale lungs and dragon. Well, I guess it would be dragon hearts and whale, uh, Dragon, dragon Lungs and Whale Hearts, right?
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: One of, basically, they were, they're, and they still are, they they just get, they're freaky athletes now on, on the U.S. women's rowing team. We can get a, a little bit more into that later. But I realized I just, you know, needed something a little bit different because I, I couldn't play that game. My brother was actually looking around. He had graduated a couple years before from Cal football. And he was looking for something to do Olympic weightlifting and something outside of just 24-hour fitness. And that was when CrossFit was on the rise. And San Francisco CrossFit was one of the first CrossFits around. And that was where he was living and working. And so he met Kelly. They became instant fishing buddies. And um, told, he told Kelly, uh, my brother told Kelly about me. And he was just like, bring her out, introduce me. And this was when Kelly was still in physical therapy school. So I went out there and basically told me that I was a mess and told me why I was breaking. And it was the first time that someone had told me information that I could use to not break myself again, besides you're weak or you're, you know, go harder, which is the, I think the laziest thing you could do in coaching. So he, he actually gave me actionable advice of like, Hey, like let's, uh, you know, learn how to squat. Let's actually learn how to put something overhead. Um, I was I was a big mess, so he uh, put me through workouts. Saw that I could I could run through a brick wall, but basically just moved like shit and cleaned it up. And he was more of a mentor um, because I we were training out in Princeton, New Jersey, at the time. So he was in San Francisco. He would give me some movement pieces of advice but more than anything it was just like you know how's it going keep your head in the game and how to do that versus you're weak again you know you need to go harder it was it was probably one of the the biggest turning points in in my life much less career
1: what what specifically was the turning point meeting kelly or the fact that you recognized you suddenly saw what great coaching was and you were comparing it to the lazy form of coaching, which is just go harder, no no comments on skill or technique or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I think it, it definitely was both. And don't get me wrong, I had great rowing coaches and I think <laughs> it was, I, I'm pretty darn stubborn. And so I probably <laughs> just was not, they weren't speaking the language um, or I wasn't listening. We weren't able to communicate. So it, I did, you know, just like everybody else, you you probably get skill training. But as a coach, if you don't if your athlete is not hearing it and not making changes, that means that you're not communicating with them or, you know, and and Kelly was the first one that actually I paid attention to. And that's that's part of his genius. And granted, like he is he is super creative, um, but he can adapt like a chameleon depending, you know, on who the person is so that he can actually get the message through.
1: You know, um, you said a moment ago that you're stubborn and some might also call that an indomitable spirit. And our mutual friend, Greg, has referred to you as a pillar. So you're 5'9", and you come from the rowing capital of the world, Modesto, California. Totally. So where does that come from? Where does that indomitable spirit, that pillar, that that, uh, break-through-the-wall stubbornness come from?
0: <laughs> that was very nice, Greg. I, I I look more like a stump than a pillar, though. But um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the spirit. You have a you have a pillar of a spirit.
0: Yeah, I'm just like one of those like trees that's rooted down deep and just won't won't freaking move. But I, you know, as everybody, like you are influenced by your parents and also uh, your friends and everybody who who grew up with. Um, for me, I believe a lot of it had to do. I mean, my mom is one of the strongest uh, women I know, and I, you know, sometimes I see it working to her advantage, and and you know, sometimes I see it actually is a big weakness, and that's what I'm I'm trying to learn from. I I, I think I'm not as stubborn as I used to be, but again, like you said, it's just you know, that is a big advantage when it comes to competitive sports. But probably another piece of it came from, I grew up, uh, my brother was uh, about 18 months older than I am. And he, uh, he's probably the best older brother you could ever have. He would let me play with him, he and his friends, but it was always, I'm not going to change the rules for you. Or you can't cry, you can't do, you know, basically don't embarrass me. Like you can come (laughs) out and play, but you have to play with the boys. And so I think that Set it up so I never had any excuses, you know. And when it came to rowing, it was like, "Oh, these girls are taller; they're they're bigger." And I was like, "All right, I'm used to it. Like, I (laughs) let's do it, you know. Let's just let's go, let's play." And then it was not about what the limitations were; it was just how how hard could I go.
1: So you had this this element of grit that either you learned through playing with your brother and his his friends or, or, or was, or you were born with maybe like on a scale.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, that, that word, I've actually been kind of studying it and exploring it. What is it? Angela Duckworth, I believe her name is, wrote the book about grit and did that great Ted talks. And I read this other article about, you know, the downside of grit. And I think that while it is a very celebrated and, Admirable quality to have, uh, you know, for business, for sport, um, for life. That there, there is a dark side to it as well.
1: Yeah, you know, I totally agree with you, and I, I've been thinking a lot about another word that that I think relates to grit, which is friction. Too much friction prevents us from realizing our fullest potential, right? But just the right amount of friction. Can propel you to win a gold medal can help you hang something simply on the wall can keep you from slipping on wet ground, but if you have too much friction you're not going to be able to do much of anything you're going to you're going to move too slowly, yeah, and I think it's the same thing I mean like that's where you have i mean just as a rower, I mean you could probably immediately envision in your mind like the right amount of friction or pull that you need when you're rowing full out Uh, too much would slow you down and too little is going to, is going to, you're going to get left in the dust.
0: Right. And in the movement world, I guess we could also use friction with connection. And right now I'm working with my husband in a, on a company called power, speed endurance. And we're basically trying to figure out an equation for each sport to use speed as a monitor for skill, right? I mean, it's it's like going downhill um, on a skateboard. If you if you go down too big of a hill, the, you're going to start wobbling and call those the speed wobbles. And it's beyond your skill level to maintain that connection to the board to the ground. It's it's just outside of your comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That also happens in rowing and then running, um, and pretty much every, we call like monostructural sport. So, and some people, you know, call, think of them as endurance sports. But yeah, so I think with friction is also, you know, you can look at it and, because I think sometimes friction might sound a little negative, but like friction along with connection, meaning that your your whole entire body is connected. Like if you're too connected, then, then you're just like going to, it's like squeezing your butt hundred percent and trying to walk, you know, you're just going to look really weird versus trying to be connected and, and having everything about 20% on. And then you can actually go with the flow and speed. Um, and then the skill level, I mean, and your skill level will just only go up.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely a concept that I'm continuing to ponder and think about as it relates to just overall human performance and, the ability to get into that state or frame of mind where we're able to perform at an optimal level in business, in relationships, uh, athletically. Uh, which leads me kind of to the, the the core topic, which is the champion's mindset. And when you hear that phrase, what does it mean to you?
0: Oh, it, that has evolved quite a bit for me. I think at first it was that Indomitable spirit of uh, that X factor of just going—that was what I attributed all of my success to, and I can still, and you can still see it, especially coaches and other athletes who who've been there and been at a competitive level for a long time. It's just that relentless, won't take no for an answer, and will keep on on going. Um, that I think is the possibly like the common, um, definition, but now I would say the champion mindset has evolved into something that is more at peace versus forceful. If that makes Mm. sense. Yeah. I think a champion is someone that is doing it, you know, not to beat someone else. It's for them. That is I I see is very few and far between, and I'll even call myself out. That was not what I was doing. I I literally had fun winning and beating people, and it was it was not for me. And then at the end of you know my career, when I stepped into the real world, and I was like, oh, let's play, like let's you know go to the gym, and I'll beat you, and. That doesn't that doesn't work out very well in the world, you know. You don't make very many friends when you uh, just want to like you know beat everyone around you. So I think that is why that definition has evolved for me.
1: I think that's a really important uh, lesson, and I think that we'll we'll maybe tackle that a little bit deeper in a moment. But can you take us back to your last race in 2012? You're sitting in the in the rower. You're at the starting line. What's going on in your mind? What do you see? Hear? Feel? Where's your emotional level? Are you totally calm, or are you just like just jacked? Where are you?
0: Uh, the last race. So I had the good fortune of sitting on um, the Olympic starting line two times. So in 2008, I was uh, I was a young buck still. The U.S. team had never, well, hadn't won a gold medal in the in a women's race since I think it was. 1984. So it was like, it was over a 20 year drought and we were, we were still the favorites, but this uh, country, the team Romania would always just pull shit out of their butts. Like they would just show up on the starting line (laughs) at Olympics and just throw it down. And so I remember sitting there and even in the warmups, like I just remember being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I just want to race. Um, and I and I remember being like, that is such a good feeling versus uh, the, reflecting back, you know, if, if it was like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready or, you know, none of those questions actually entered my mind. It was like, no, I'm ready. I want to race. I want to see what happens. Like, I want to see what they do. Like, let's go play. And so it was very, it was very playful um, in 2008 when I was sitting there, I like, even watching the, uh, the film from it, I remember just, I was almost like jittery, like sitting there, bouncing up and down. Me like, all right, all right, let's go. Like, come on, like everybody, let's go. Um, in the end, we, we won. We, we led from uh, start to finish, but uh, that was pretty much talking to my teammates. That was what everybody else was kind of feeling too, is like, just let's go. Let's go. Let's go do it. Let's play. And we almost wanted a little bit more you know, challenge, and so it was just like it, But we just couldn't believe that we actually had were that prepared. So that was a rad feeling. Fast forward four years later, sitting at the um, starting line at the finals in London, I also had that confidence. It was not in any way ego that we would win, but it was confidence that we had done a lot to get there you know, just wanted to, to race, but it was, it was almost like I, I wanted, there was a, there was a bit of hesitancy. It could, you know, it could have been a couple of different things, but I, I still remember being ready to race. I just, I think I almost had too much energy. I felt like I was over prepared if that's even possible. <laughs> there was uh my pair partner, um, in rowing, um, there's a big eight boat, which actually has nine people with a coxswain, and that's what I raced in both times at the Olympics. Um, but we do a lot of our training in pairs, which is just you and one other girl. One spins off to the right, and one spins off to the left with one big oar, and uh, somehow you make it go straight. But that uh, is what we did a lot of our training in. And my uh, pair partner for two thousand for you know good part of two thousand twelve. And I were, were in the races, uh, basically in the loop to, to double up, do the pair race and the eight, but it just didn't turn out that way. The, the coach didn't feel ready for it. He really wanted to make sure we got the gold and the eight and didn't want to uh, put that into question. And so I think that was probably a piece of myself that I was like, you know, you only get to race twice in the eight because there's, there's only seven entries versus the smaller boats. Um, it's a lot easier for the the smaller countries to gather rowers and athletes. And so there's, a, you get to race at least three or four times. So in talking through this, I think, yeah, in 2012, I, I don't, I felt over prepared, and I was just, you know, even finishing across the line, I remember looking around at everybody and they were just like, throwing their arms up, splashing the water, and and I, I just remember crying, being like, I I have more like let, let ah like let's do it again. It was this weird feeling of like I I just wanted more.
1: I wanna get into I wanna get into that specifically that feeling of of wanting more. Yeah. Because I think it's a huge thing, not only for athletes, but entrepreneurs for anybody who's goal oriented. But, but before we do that you know, it's it's rare for someone to make the Olympics once, let alone twice. And then you throw in life and adversity and curveballs and all that stuff in there. Did you expect to make the 2012 t- team because because you had a setback in 2011, right? Like physically or or something or were you because I, I noticed did you you didn't compete in the world in the world in 2011, right?
0: No. Yeah, you did your homework. Um, No, I, yeah, I've had uh, quite a few setbacks, meaning uh, injuries and and whatnot. Um, My favorite was to actually break my ribs, stress fracture in my ribs. Uh, I've had five of those. But in 2011, somehow managed to break two ribs, one on the right, one on the left. And so that put me out. And that was a month before uh, the world championships. Oh, my gosh really sucked because uh the year before is the qualifying year for the boat it doesn't not it doesn't necessarily mean um you know you qualify the people to row in the boat but you qualify the boat to compete at the olympics but regardless it's still a really important year because it, we're we're picked ba- especially in the eight that big boat it's picked kind of like uh you know the, a basketball team would be picked. You know, your your teammates have a lot of influence on it, like how you interact with your teammates. The coach, you know, usually asks uh, or, you know, gives you something to write about who you want in the boat. But it's, it's a lot of data points, um, racing data points, and then also coaches' discretion. And so how you race and, um, you know, your dependability is a huge piece. And so in 2011... I broke the left, I forget what rib it was. (laughs) They all look like little knobs anyways, but anyhow, uh, yeah. And I was racing the whole summer, um, trying to ward that off. Um, for some reason, the, the ribs in your back don't hurt nearly as bad, but then the one on my right side, pretty anteriorly, I heard it literally pop during one of the, the races. And it just sounds like a little click. And I knew I was like, okay, you know, it, it hurts like hell when you breathe. So that's when you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's when you imagine. know you're
0: screwed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was a doozy. But you know, I, I, as painful as it was to miss um, races and also be injured so much, I look at that as the reason why I was so good because, and, and also why I know what I know now to help others, um, you know, reach their, their goals. I I wouldn't know nearly as much about my, you know, my body and, um, human performance if I didn't suck at it or didn't get injured. You know, if everything was going great and came easily, like probably wouldn't take as much interest in it.
1: 2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. From the point that you got injured to the point where you had that kind of epiphany or aha moment, how, how much distance was there between that? Did, did you realize that right, like shortly, or did it take time for you? To mentally say, okay, the the fact that I'm injured and I have the opportunity to rest and recover and get and get healthy is a good thing.
0: Oh yeah, no that this is only in uh, hindsight, like a year or two. (laughs) In in the midst of it, oh my gosh! I mean, you just have to you just have to do whatever you can to to stay sane. And I think it's a it's twofold. One of them is you know other. you're basically losing your, um, status, if you will, within, within the team, um, because other people are getting more data points on ergs and and progressing. And the other part is, is, is we are so, you become so dependent on all the hormones, like, you know, the, the dopamine, the adrenaline, um, that you get from training every day that when you aren't, training like that, you, uh, you go into a massive depression and and it happens. It happens to everyone Think about it. It's like, okay, your, your body adapts to be dependent on these hormones. And then all of a sudden you cut off that lifeline. It sucks.
1: (laughs) How important was your community around you at that time?
0: Oh, good. I mean, that's probably why I'm still here (laughs) to be (laughs) honest. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of my family, um, just listening. And then, you know, people who've become family and I I don't know what I did to, to deserve, you know, such amazing people in my life that are, aren't related, um, to me by blood, but like, you know, Kelly and his wife, Juliet, and, um, you know, my husband, Brian, who is not my husband at the time, but they just, they literally were there for me when I was in a deep, dark, awful places and just, you know, stood by and which is, it's hard to do for just a friend, you know, and it's a drain on, on your own energy, you know, and I've, I've tried to help guide other teammates and friends through those dark times and it's hard.
1: Yeah. Um, so you are now you're healed. You've you've overcome the, the adversity, you got selected for the Olympic team, you've, you've crossed that finish line. You are now crying because you're not ready to be done. You've got your gold medal, you're draped in old glory. And of course it's all roses from there and it's easy street and smooth sailing and no problem transitioning into the next thing. Is that that those are all true statements, right? Oh,
0: totally true. I mean, I, you can talk to any um, Olympian or professional athlete. <laughs> I'm sure that's the
1: same
0: <laughs> unicorns and rainbow story. For sure.
1: <laughs> so, because I mean, your whole life, your whole adult life up to that point, you've been training and pursuing winning, and you've had to. Gain a different perspective on fulfillment at that point.
0: Yeah, it was a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I and I say was because I, I think I, I I know I'm I'm out of it now, um, but it, it took a solid four years. Um, and I remember talking to I had another um, mentor. It was the gal who was in the bow seat, so the the seat that I sat in the eight um, before. I came along, um, and she she's just an awesome human being. And she, I saw her going through a rough time as I was starting on the national team. She was ending her career, and I saw her having a rough time. And I was like, "Oh, that's not going to happen to me." Like, you know, I know how to to go hard and and make goals and achieve them. Yeah, you just never think it's going to happen to you. And everybody's like, "Oh, you know, it's the post Olympic uh, depression," and you're like, "What? Like, who would even?" how, how is that even possible? Like you just achieved your life's goal up until that point, you know, but it is more frequent than you, than you would imagine. And I, I, I saw my brother go through it after playing college football for five years, you know, and it's, um, I, I I'm sure it's, it's not just within sport. I'm, it's probably within, um, you know, people transitioning in any life period, I, I can uh, relate it somewhat to, uh, you know, someone having, uh, leaving the military. Yeah. And I've actually have not gotten through the book, but had that, the book tried by Sebastian Younger, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. referred to me by so many freaking people. So I finally decided to pick it up, but he he's nailed it. And I think it's a big piece is that you are taken out of your tribe. You're taken out of, you know, being significant to the tribe. And that is a big piece of it. And I think it's also a lot of very successful athletes have very, very dark demons. And I I know a few people (laughs) that aren't, using those to, to fuel them to their success. You know, I, I always say that like, Hey, the, you know, you have to get stronger and faster than your demons if you want to beat them. And that's typically the ones that have, have, you know, and it doesn't mean that you grow up in a bad situation by any means either. Cause I probably had it better than most, you know, but somehow I had these demons coming after me. And I, and I created them, you know, it was like, oh, you know, people are are rooting against me. And I just created this situation in my head where I was just like, I need to beat this person. You know, sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of time I would sit on the starting line and be like, this is life or death. Like, if I don't, if I don't win this, I'm going to die. So you better, you know. Or, or even worse, sometimes I would be like, "Someone in your family is going to die," <laughs> <laughs> which is sounds insane. But like at the time, like that's how much I I was putting into it. Like it, I had to dig into my emotions, and um, you know, it's almost like being an actor or an actress, and you're just putting yourself in these situations whether they be true or not, and you just, you buy in. It's like you go, you go all in.
1: (laughs) But I mean, you were literally like a gladiator stepping into the arena and you're going to be fighting against another gladiator. And it's, it's, there is no win, lose or draw. There's only win or lose. That was your mindset uh, at that, up to that point. And, and that's what, that's what, those were the demons that kind of stuck with you after, uh, and you were transitioning from being an Olympic athlete to, being an athlete, but not on an Olympic stage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just, and also being a, you know, functioning part of society and and business and and whatnot.
1: So, you know, know, I love that statement you made a moment ago about needing to be stronger and faster than your demons. And I think that we all, you know, we're all satient beings. We all have feelings and emotions, regardless of whether we are, you know, a superstar athlete or just, you know, somebody who's punching a time clock. But one of the things that separates athletes, especially championship level athletes like yourself from the rest of the pack is the training and the process and everything that got them to where they are. And so I'm wondering if, you know, when you came to that realization, I need to be stronger and faster than my demons, what steps did you take that that you developed as an athlete, as an Olympic athlete, and applied them toward beating that thing and, and winning in that scenario.
0: And I think this applies to everything. Actually, it's it's a daily practice, right? It starts with your training. It's not you just don't put yourself in those situations once in a blue moon. I mean, we don't. We race probably five or six times um, a year as rowers, um, but every day. Was a training day, um, and I, it was a challenge to me to how can I deal with pain? Um, and you know, one thing that I used to, I would pride myself on that Kelly would always tell me he's like, "You are the best sufferer I have ever met. No one can out suffer you." And I I was just like, "Hell yeah!" Like I can, <laughs> I can go through, and I would just look over at other people who are in pain. And I would be like, I'm in pain too, but I know I can I can push this further, like and harder than you. That actually has you know came to kick me in the butt. <laughs> because when you have a high pain threshold, I think you also have a low ability to evolve and to change. Um, because pain is one of our greatest teachers, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so with that, I, I, you know, every day I was just learning how to suppress pain and and not think about it and and just basically push through it. And, you know, while that was very helpful um, as an athlete, um, especially in rowing, I mean, it's, it's pretty, there's, it's definitely skill, skillful sport. Um, but a lot of it's just who can, who can sit with their pain the most. Yeah, I, I think that's. I was pretty good at that, um, but you know, when it comes to everyday life, um, and you have you know painful thoughts, and you're just sitting on them um, versus actually dealing with them or trying to do something different so they don't reoccur, <laughs> uh, then that's when it's pretty unfunctional.
1: I think that is an incredibly powerful lesson that you learned that we get to 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 learn from you today, and now you're an entrepreneur with your husband, and you guys are doing power, speed, endurance, and and so what are the most important lessons that you've learned as an athlete, and especially an athlete who's faced these emotional challenges in the arena, that you now apply in your journey as an entrepreneur?
0: You know, I I thought it would be the perseverance, and and I like a good human. I've been making a lot of the same mistakes I did, uh, as an athlete. Um, I think I've been cycling through them a little bit quicker, but you know, first I thought it was just, you need to grind all day, do 16 hour days. Um, you know, you're in a startup, just figure it out and just keep on going. Um, that didn't last very long, um, or very well for my relationships and, and health. You know, I was running a, and I am running the fitness company, and I stopped fitnessing, <laughs> at all. <laughs> but I think that's also part of like you know the obsessive um, type of personality of my you know that I have as well. It's like, oh, this is this is the new goal, okay. But yeah, that that did not um, work out well. And with that, I've learned to something I learned at the end of my career, well, actually towards the middle of my career with rowing. You might not, I was never the fastest on the team, um, or the strongest and anything, but I was able to get the best out of my teammates whenever they were in a boat with me. Mm. And so that is what I have been working towards, um, with power, speed, endurance is we have a lot of these really talented coaches, um, and, and, they have strengths that I definitely don't have. Um, and so I'm, my work has been, how can I create a platform for these coaches to, to thrive? And then also, you know, so they can reach more athletes. And so it's, it's not about being the superstar. I think everybody wants to be, you know, the big name on the billboard or, you know, get the big sponsorships or whatever. And To be honest, you know, my husband is um, a pretty big personality in the um, health and fitness world, too. And I was at first, I'm like, oh, that's what I need to do. You know, I'm two time Olympian. I'm an athlete or I, I, you know, proven I need to be get myself out there. And then I realize I'm like, no, he's he's way better at it and he enjoys it. I need to support him and figure out how to, you know, have him. Deliver these messages.
1: Yeah, that's really that's really powerful, you know. And it, and it reminds me of uh, a conversation I had with another S- Southern California entrepreneur, a guy that uh, started a uh, a company called Tower Paddle Boards, and they, they were a Shark Tank a successful Shark Tank company. And uh, invest Mark Cuban was one of their investors, and he just wrote a book called The Five Hour Workday because uh, he cut down their working staff. Uh, their working hours to five hours a day and kept everybody basically at the same pay. They just had to figure out how to do everything that they had to do in an eight-hour day in three less hours. And one of the reasons why he did that is because here you are, This he had this lifestyle company and they're a mile away from the beach and they're never going to the beach. And, and so he had this realization that he had to live his brand as his business. In, in other words, he had to create such a a culture about living the lifestyle that they're selling, that they had to adjust everything they were doing in order to do that. And it's the same thing that you're talking about. You've, you've, you stopped fitnessing, but now you're fitnessing again and you're, you've got a team of people around you that are going to build each other up and help each other live the best way they possibly can and become the best version of themselves which is an an incredible lesson that and 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 to be honest in today's society kind of a miracle that you're even using that language because it's such a dog eat dog world today in the entrepreneurial space especially in fitness
0: yeah which is it's so it's sad and and you know we're not perfect sometimes we, everybody you know your your ego always finds its way to rear its nasty head um, when someone else does you know something that you helped them with or you know or they whatever you know it's like oh they're they're succeeding like oh, I'm so jealous and it's like no it's like why can't we actually be happy for each other There's the fitness space is so huge and we're all working towards inevitably like and this is kind of like the bigger ether questions that i've been asking myself and you know i go way too deep on these but like why fitness like why you know that it's obviously been a huge piece of my life just you know because it, it defined me as an athlete but not everybody has to be an athlete but everybody does need to move and i'm seeing that more and more as you know my parents are getting older um You know, and people really close to me are getting older and their bodies are falling apart and they're like, oh, I don't know why this is happening to me. And it's one after the next. And they just feel so helpless and they look so helpless. And I'm just like, you know, movement and health is a is a habit. And if you aren't doing it now, it sure is going to catch up with you. You know,
1: there's a great book uh, that since you're you're into reading books right now, there's a there's a book called Ego is the Enemy by a guy named Ryan Holiday.
0: Yeah,
1: I just uh, well, I, I can't say I read it, but I listened to it on on Audible. Oh yeah, great book. I mean, it's it's talks uh, talks exactly about what you're you're talking about. So as we approach the the end of our conversation, what would you say to the man or woman who's standing on the sidelines of life, but they know they need to get back in the game, whether it's the game of business. The game of their relationships or their fitness and health. How would you coach them applying the concepts of a champion's mindset and some of the things that we've talked about today?
0: I think it's I think it's it is twofold, and it also depends on your personality and your tendencies. If you are spinning your wheels and like putting a hundred and ten percent into everything, you know, doing a, a blog, doing a you know, coaching. Twenty hours a day, uh, you know, doing everything and you feel like you're stuck, I would suggest, uh, stopping and listening, um, and watching and reading and, um, learning from other people and also nature. Like it's, it's pretty trippy how, you know, we're in orange County, but we, um, just came back from, um, up in Oregon In middle of nowhere. And within like two or three days, like my our both my husband and my minds were just like churning on a whole nother level and making connections and just by being out in nature. And it sounds super hippy dippy, even though I did go to (laughs) Berkeley, but, uh, still it's just like, you, you, you can't replace that when you're in the hustle bustle. Like it's really hard to make connections and to actually, you know, produce quality pieces, I, I think, when you're just in the rat race.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, you guys are stuck in the concrete, concrete metropolis of Orange County. You don't have many trees there, so, you know. I know. <laughs> it's,
0: not, it's not horrible um, where we are. We're kind of on the outskirts of it. But still, it's just, it's pretty crazy how much your sensory, you get sensory overload on things that you don't even register. It's like you're thinking, like not even feeling you're like, oh, it's just a little light outside when I'm like going to sleep because the, you know, lights from freaking L.A. come all the way. (laughs) Stuff like that. You're like, oh, that's not affecting me. Oh, yes, it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, If there's one thing that you want people to remember from our conversation today, what would it be?
0: Listen to yourself um, and others and, and trust Trust yourself. Like the only way you're going to get there is is to have some quiet. It's my um, father-in-law actually said this to me when I was going through a hard time. He's like, it, "It's it's damn hard to move a parked car." <laughs> so that was the other piece. Like if if you aren't moving at all and you're waiting, like just start moving. But if you're moving too fast, then you got to slow down. And it's just you know, it's just start listening and learning from everything around you, but also just you know, get some quiet time. And and so you can actually listen to yourself, because that's where all the answers really are. Like you don't need other people's advice or approval or anything. Your gut is a pretty strong governor of of what's right for you.
1: I love it. You know, Aaron, I I really want to take a moment to say that I really appreciate your vulnerability and authenticity on the show today. I think it's going to touch a lot of people. And, and really uh, reveal a lot about themselves and the, and the personal struggles that, that they face on a daily basis and how it's okay to struggle and it's okay to, to surround yourself with people that will help you overcome that adversity. And that community can be a really powerful thing because that's definitely an, an overtone of the, of the conversation that we've had today. So I just really want to say thank you for being on the Impact Entrepreneur Show.
0: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no, I just like you know I look back fondly on all my broken ribs. The struggle is is actually what's helping you grow, <laughs> you know.
1: I love it. I love it. How can people connect with you and interact with you?
0: Oh, I um, you can try me on social media. <laughs> I'm not super active, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I still have my uh, good old maiden name on everything, at Aaron at Aaron Cafaro, but. Pretty much I'm doing everything, um, behind the scenes on powerspeedendurance.com. Uh, so, um, check it out and yeah, we just love to find a way to make movement fun and a piece of an easy <laughs> and piece of everyone's life over there. So,
1: and they don't have to live in Orange County to, to work with you guys, right? They can.
0: No, it's actually a virtual, virtual, um, coaching and programming platform. So we rarely are working with people unless they're flying out to work with us, or we fly out to location. But it's it's most mostly virtual, so works for everyone.
1: I love it. Well, we will be sure to to link to this and the other to your site and the uh, and the books that you mentioned in the show notes page. And uh, thanks again, Aaron, for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show.
0: Yeah, keep on doing what you're doing, Mike. Doing awesome.
1: Thank you. Aaron, thank you for being so honest and humble. We can all learn a tremendous amount about the importance of grit and living like a champion in every area of life. If you missed any of the key points, we've got you covered. Visit theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 37 for all the key points and highlights of Aaron and my conversation. And while you're there, be sure to support our sponsors, our sponsors, the Lawton Marketing Group, and Unstuck Life Courses. We are blessed to have them as partners. Go ahead and opt into our Facebook group, our Facebook community. Share your ideas and talents by joining this community. Great stuff is happening there. And you can do that by going to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash group. Thank you, Cody and the Podcast Masters team for helping me produce a quality show. Until next time, go make an impact.